Hello, welcome to the Untitled Henna Podcast. My name is Adam Copeland, Project Director within Operations for the Higher Ed North America Business Unit within Study Group. I'm excited to be bringing this project to you, which aspires to be a connection point amongst our colleagues who are globally dispersed and hopefully giving a chance uh, to get to know each other better uh, through a quick interview uh, on a bi-weekly, monthly basis. I'm excited to be interviewing a lot of different people around the world and finding out a little bit more about what they do within our company and a little bit more about themselves personally that will hopefully uh, be a way for us to get to know each other, even if we don't get a chance to meet each other face-to-face. Uh, today, Peter Dye, our academic manager at Oglethorpe University, is with me. And with that, uh, Peter, uh, could you introduce yourself? I can. Uh, I feel very honored to be the guinea pig for this uh, inaugural <laughs> podcast. Uh, but yeah, my name is Peter Dye. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, where I am working as the academic manager at Oglethorpe University. And I have been teaching uh, English as a second foreign and international language kind of around the world, but also here in Atlanta for about the last decade. And I started with study group in late 2017. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting journey over there, building the curriculum and also teaching the courses and getting to know a really interesting student body that we've had over the last few semesters. So yeah, that's me. Cool. So what uh, what do you exactly do as academic manager? So we have a very small group right now. It's uh, myself and Bill, our center director. And since we've had really small classes for the first few semesters as we're kind of getting started, uh, my main responsibility is just building these courses and trying to make sure that all of the things that we do in our pathway classes help prepare our students for what they'll ultimately need in their credit-bearing content courses. Well, it's perfect for me because Oglethorpe uh, has a heavy focus on literature and literary analysis. Um, and I was an English major back in college, so it's really fun that all my interests have kind of come together into this this one place. So I get to design, you know, English language classes geared around all the academic um, skills and abilities they'll need. But I also get to help them try to grapple with things like Shakespeare and um, you know, North American short stories, and we talk about literature from their country. So it's been really fun, and I'm getting to, to design these courses, but then also teach them myself mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, eventually hand off to another teacher. But for the time being, it's it's kind of it's been a great experience getting to be involved in, in pretty much every facet of the experience for our students. So that's kind of the long and short of it. That's cool. It sounds like it's been challenging and fulfilling at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Good. What uh, what brought you? To study group? Well, I was working at Georgia State University in downtown Atlanta, and then I saw the listing for uh, the study group position, and actually I was kind of drawn to the mention of Oglethorpe University, because I've had a few friends who graduated from there, and I'd been to the campus when I was in high school to see a play, and I just remembered the the campus just being beautiful, like something out of a a Disney movie uh, with the architecture, and and I'd also heard a lot of good things about Oglethorpe. They they were always referenced on uh, our public radio channel, and there was a lot of professors that would come on and uh, you know be interviewed for various projects and things Oglethorpe was doing in the community. So yeah, it caught my eye, and um, thankfully I got the job and and made it here. Yeah, well, definitely glad to have you on. I um, 
remember uh, missing your in-person interview because of uh, <laughs> flight complications. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's been. I, I know from from my perspective, it's been a really good, really good fit uh, for you there. What what brought you into education uh, as a profession? You mentioned you're an English major. Uh, was that your intent? Was to get into teaching? No, I think um, probably very similar to a lot of people that get into the uh, English language teaching game. Um, it was just a great opportunity to travel originally. Uh, mm -hmm. So when I finished when I finished college, my girlfriend at the time and I found an opportunity to go get a teaching certification uh, for teaching English as a foreign language in Madrid, Spain, and we both decided to go for it. So I basically graduated, worked as a lifeguard that whole summer, <laughs> subleased my room, and sold my car to pay for a ticket. And we just booked it across the across the pond, and we weren't sure if we were even going to be able to make it for more than a few months because we didn't have all that much money. But we started getting gigs uh, teaching, and like I said, I think for a lot of people, you know, teaching in that capacity is kind of a means to an end or something just to mm -hmm. get an opportunity to travel. But I kind of stumbled into my dream job. Like I fell in love with it. I got to meet so many interesting people and like help them accomplish, you know, their their very specific language related goals. But I mean, I, I did a lot of private tutoring in Madrid, and I mean, my students were just fascinating. I, I One of my students was the ex-chief of police of Madrid. Another was a journalist for Doctors Without Borders. Uh, another was a marine biologist, and we were just practicing so that she could give a speech uh, in Italy to, like, a European marine biology conference. But just I learned so much about different fields, but also about language and uh, learn more about the language I speak, but also you know, how to teach it. So it was a very educational year and it's kind of informed my decisions for the next uh, years to follow. So um, it taught in Korea as well, taught in Atlanta, went and got my master's in applied linguistics. And, and yeah, it's just, it's like all my passions combined. I, I'm, I love language. I love culture. Uh, I love writing and I love just meeting people. So I get to do that all the time. So that's kind of how I got into it originally. Was there anything specific about uh, Madrid other than offering that um, certificate? Uh, would this seem like a good launching pad for the rest of Europe, or were you mostly focused on getting to Spain and uh, being there? Yeah, there, there's a few things that drew us there. I think Spanish was the language that um, we both spoke mm -hmm. the most of the time, so there's kind of that familiarity linguistically. Um, plus, I'd never been to Europe. It was my first time going to Europe, and Spain seemed to be one of the more accessible ones because – I think with the unemployment crisis being what it was, there was a lot of opportunities for teaching because I think people were trying to beef up their resume since mm -hmm. I think it was 25% unemployment or something. So the opportunity was there, uh, but it was also a draw to us. So mm -hmm. I think it just kind of checked all the boxes we were looking for at the moment, at that moment. That's cool. And then what about Korea? How did you wind up there? And, um, and have you and Bill ever figured out if – you guys may have crossed paths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the same time. Uh, Bill, yeah, the center director at Oglethorpe. We uh, we realized after we met that we had been in Korea for like a brief overlap at the same time. I was there two years. I think he was there a couple of years, and we we actually had a few months of overlap. And he lived in like the Guanghamun area, and I was working in the Jongno area, which are only just a few blocks from each other. So it's very likely that we wow. like walked past each other at some point but um yeah so it's a small world and kind of related to that too the the teacher trainer of my um certification course in spain who i'm still good friends with he's been kind of an inspiration to me for years but he ended up moving to korea 
where he lives with his husband. And then he is now the, um, like teacher trainer for this huge company in Korea. So he asked if I wanted to come there and teach at that company. And so he's been like a wonderful networking <laughs> friend for, for years and years. So, uh, yeah. So the, the Spain thing kind of helped be a springboard to eventually move into Korea too. Cool. Cool. Oglethorpe's got a really, um, uh, really cool curriculum. Uh, it's also, a, um, really classically liberal arts and, uh, lots mm-hmm. of, uh, intensive readings. Uh, you mentioned earlier some of the, the, the joys and challenges of putting, putting that together and how to scaffold that into the EAP. What are some other, uh, or can you expand upon some of those work related interests of yours? Uh, related to Oglethorpe or in general? Uh, or in general to, uh, to academic manager, whether that is uh, curriculum building or uh, some of the other pieces. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a big one for me is, is just any way to incorporate, you know, like mobile and web-based learning, because there's just so much technology out there that's developed in, in recent years. And I mean, if, if students are going to be using, you know, their phones and laptops and technology, might as well steer them towards our, our objectives in the classroom. So I found, you know, just a lot of great resources that I've been able to test out with our group at Oglethorpe of, you know, like an app to, to help students with pronunciation issues or, um, you know, different things to even process literature, kind of, uh, uh, I think Sparknotes has now made an app that can give you different contexts for different pieces of literature. And, and basically, I just try to expose them to as many resources as I can uh, so that they can keep learning. Uh, you know, and I always tell them my, my job is to basically help them learn how to learn and teach them to not need me. And so mm-hmm. just giving them all these resources it's been really useful because I've, I've had some come back to me and tell me that, oh yeah, like that thing really helped me, or I, you know, I keep use, I kept using that after class was done, and so yeah, kind of the intersection of technology and language learning is a big, big interest for me. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, any kind of English for specific purposes, just you, keeping it practical, helping everybody figure out what they need, and then helping them achieve it has always been kind of my main main focal point. The Hena Academic Forums coming up next month. Uh, will you be mm-hmm. presenting on any of that research or those interests, or what are you oh, yeah. uh, sharing? Can yeah, you uh, I think of that? <laughs> the the teaser trailer for yeah. the Academic Forum. Um, yeah, it, it, our theme is assessment, and so I'm going to be looking at how to tailor um, how to tailor uh, ISC assessments to content course outcomes. Um, so basically I'm doing some curriculum design for Lynn University as well at the moment for like some of their online courses. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of examples of what we've done at Oglethorpe and, and some things there that, you know, starting with a needs analysis, how you, you know, talk to faculty, read the syllabi of the university and try to figure out exactly what types of things students are going to need to be able to do, whether that's, um, use Excel or write a literary analysis essay or, you know, tell a story in public speaking, like whatever the skill might be, and then trying to find either the the training wheels version of that that we could do in the ISC or uh, which kind of skills we can scaffold to, to eventually get them to that place they need to be. Um, yeah, but that's, that's mainly the, the focus of this one is just how to come up with those uh, assessments for a course and how to choose those as appropriately as you can. Awesome. That sounds There's fun. A sneak peek. Yeah, yeah, thank you. What about um, non-work stuff? What are uh, what are some non-work interest uh, hobbies or whatever that um, not only you have but you're also willing to either share or admit to? 
<laughs> um, I'll, I'll stick to an easy one just because my mind's on it now. Uh, I love, I mean, I love traveling and I love kind of challenges, like things that, you know, I, I sit in a desk a lot these days, but this summer, I'm actually going back to Spain because it's a 10 year anniversary, uh, for, for me and some of my friends from when I was first there. Awesome. And, uh, a buddy and I are going to walk the Camino de Santiago. I don't know if you're familiar in, in Northern Spain. Mm-hmm. It used to be like a pilgrimage route from, you know, you could go from France to, to kind of the, the, the Northwest place section of the, of the Iberian Peninsula where the Santiago Cathedral is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can walk mm-hmm. up from Portugal and anyway, but a friend and I are going to, going to do that for uh, about a hundred kilometers, actually, uh, July 1st. So coming up pretty soon. Oh, awesome. But, uh, it's the first time I've done something like that in a while and I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be a little, little change of pace, get to meet some new people and hopefully get a little bit of a break from my sedentary lifestyle too. <laughs> I, I mean, guess it, that you, um, have, have you done any, I don't guess you would need to do any training for that, but, um. I'm guessing based on the busy spring semester, it was uh, you were a little more limited in getting out to the uh, the hills of Georgia uh, to do any practicing. You got it. Yeah, I I like hiking and things, but yeah, it's been it's been a little while since I've gotten to actually get out there and, and walk around. So this will be a a much needed uh, change of pace. Yeah. Cool. That sounds fun. You've um, you mentioned uh, the director of the. Um, the school that you worked at previously as being somebody who inspires you. Um, anybody else you want to mention or, um, or elaborate on, uh, you know, what exactly was you found inspirational from him? Yeah. Um, I guess I can tie it to, uh, several things, but there's, yeah, Stephen Willits is the name of the, the director I mentioned earlier. And, and definitely he's an inspirational person, uh, and I was thinking too, there, someone else that comes to mind is, I mean, this is probably a common answer for people like us in this field, but Anthony Bourdain always sticks out to me, just, mm-hmm. just the way he's mm-hmm. able to, you know, to use, use his passion or use the thing he's into to connect to people. And I always like this, back to the literature bit, um, I always like this Dostoevsky quote that I read when I was, I think in college that, it was something like mankind is a mystery that needs to be unraveled. And if you spend your mm. whole life unraveling that mystery, don't consider it a waste of time. And I think that quote always resonated with me. And I think whether, you know, you try to understand people through teaching or food or, you know, comedy or whatever it might be, those are always the most interesting people. I think to me is how do you, how do you connect with people and get people to, you know, form communities and, 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 the classroom is that for me, but I think it can come in so many different forms and fashions. And, and yeah, and I, I just love to meet people that find ways to channel their passions towards that type of goal. Yeah. That'd be my, my quickest answer for that one. Cool. That's a good one. I, uh, we mentioned before we started recording, um, swapping podcast ideas. So let's wrap up with, um, recommendations, whether that is specifically towards podcast or any other media you're consuming, or you'd like to, uh, point people in the direction of yeah sure um there's so many because like i was telling you i have a, a about a two-hour commute every day so i listen mm-hmm. to so many podcasts but a really cool one i heard have you ever heard of ear hustle i've heard of it's it a, i've not listened to it it's uh it's i've become addicted to it it's it's actually a podcast that's recorded from inside san quentin prison and so they work okay. with like a yeah. PRI host and then also prisoners co-host it and produce it. 
Mm-hmm. And it just gives you like a, a look into the life of what prison's like, and they they break down like linguistically like different terms you need to know, but they they wow. you know they went to you know how just life works in there, and it's really really fascinating. And so yeah, that's that's been the big one um, I've been involved in, and actually that led me down a rabbit hole that maybe another future discussion, but I'm gonna start tutoring at a prison in Atlanta. Uh, starting later this summer because they needed like an academic writing tutor and mm-hmm. you know they're they're discussing on that podcast how like recidivism rates go down drastically if if inmates just have as much as like one class uh, oh. just to help prepare them once they get out and so yeah that one's really cool I think that's probably my big one lately that I've been listening to Ear how Hustle. frequently how frequently do they uh, do they post that I think they've got a few seasons that are already out you can listen to mm-hmm. now but they just started a new season and I think it comes out every two weeks. Okay. But they've, they've been around long enough now that one of the hosts has actually gotten out of prison. So now part of it is him talking about life on the outside and they got a new host to talk about life on the inside. And it, yeah, it's just really well done and wow. it's really interesting too. So yeah, that one's worth checking out. Any, any good recommendations on your end? Whew. Um, I've been on a, um, sports and pop culture, uh, kick. Um, so I, I kind of default to, um, the podcast network at theringer.com. Uh, R-I-N-G-E-R. Um, and yeah, they, um, they've got all kinds of, uh, podcasts. Um, Bill Simmons is, uh, the creator uh, and owner of the, um, the site production company. And I've followed him for 12, 15 plus years now. Um, but one of the things that they've done is, uh, the rewatchables podcast, um, and so what they do is they take a movie that they consider or deem to be rewatchable based on very flimsy criteria. And then they go through and they just talk about the movie. They play clips from it. Uh, they've got, you know, these different um, different uh, sections of the podcast where they talk about casting what ifs uh, and do, um, you know, different research about who was up for the role, how it might have been different, how the movie might have been different. Um, they, uh, they go through and, um, they've got a couple of different, uh, pieces. They do some internet research, um, that's not fully, uh, a deep dive uh, to say, Hey, we heard about this movie. It was, you know, in the tank until this director came on. And, um, anyway, they, they've done a, a, a slew of, of movies. I listened to the Dead Poet Society one, um, last week, the week before, um, but they've done Heat, uh, let's see, they did, uh, mean Girls recently, uh, so it, it's all kinds of stuff <laughs> going back. Uh, the Godfather uh, was one uh, that's oh, that wow. was a fun listen as well. So um, it, it's right at the 60 to 75 minute mark. Um, so it's uh, you know I, I I think that that's pretty that, that's about the um, amount of time that I can go through and have uh, listen to something uh, while I'm uh, doing some something else. Um, but yeah, uh, the rewatch that sounds awesome. That's is good. Um, Sounds right up my alley too. I'll have to check it out. The other one that um, uh, is really really good that has a Game of Thrones uh, connection as well as Harry Potter um, is the binge mode. Um, Two of the site's uh, editors and writers went through. (laughs) I guess last summer they went through every book of Harry Potter, and uh, they went basically chapter by chapter. So each episode is about. 70 minutes long and it covers three to five chapters of a given book 
and they oh, wow. uh, you know they've got spoiler warnings across the whole thing so you and they go through uh, in reference the books the movies um the notes uh interviews with jk rowling and all these other other pieces but um it's really uh really intense but also really really fun um and the the two hosts um mallory rubin and jason concepcion also did that with game of thrones and they did an episode per podcast um in the build-up to this past uh finale season um oh, cool so anyway I yeah think those we're are both kind of i feel like we're both kind of pop culture fanatics so that sounds yeah, <laughs> that yeah. sounds right <laughs> up my, uh, my alley that's good no um uh i, I think that it's um it's really enjoyable, um, but as with, I'd say probably more with Harry Potter than with uh, Game of Thrones. Um, you know, it is pop culture, but there's a lot of depth to that. Like, I think uh, I really appreciate uh, one of the co-hosts. Uh, well, actually, probably both of them, but Mallory Rubin especially talks about J.K. Rowling being one of the best writers in our history, and um, it's it's sometimes weird to think about that as somebody who's still living being being that. But yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I put her put her way up there. Um, so. I have to admit, I've only read the first one, so I gotta do some Harry Potter catching up. Well, if if for nothing else, do it so you can uh, enjoy uh, a, a great podcast series. <laughs> <laughs> All right, done. Add it to my list. Awesome. Well, great, Peter. It's good uh, good catching up with you, and um, I appreciate the time. Yeah, it's been super fun. Thanks. All right. Talk later. Bye.